0: So it was a lot of cloak-and-dagger stuff, but it was good stories.
1: It gave me the best headline I've ever had in my whole life, which was, he scared the duty out of
0: me. What happens at the machine mirrors what has happened in Alabama, and that's why I find it so interesting.
2: Election Day at the University of Alabama dawned with a thunderstorm. It was exactly the type of weather Amber Scales, worried, could hurt her chance to become the first woman of color elected as president of the Student Government Association. I'm Amy Yerkanen, and you're listening to the fourth and final episode of Greek Gods, a podcast by Reckon about The Machine, a secret society that controls campus politics at Alabama. It's just me today because I'll be interviewing John Archibald and his wife Alicia about their experiences with The Machine. In the last episode, we talked about racism on campus and in the Greek system. Among her many accomplishments, Amber serves as president of her sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha. It's the only historically black sorority with a house on sorority row. It's also got a history with a machine. In 1976, when Cleo Thomas became the first African-American elected to lead student government, members of white fraternities burned a cross on the lawn. The same night, they threw cans and bottles at the members of Jewish
3: fraternities. The machine burn crosses in the front ron of our sorority, so that's something that I can never forget because it's ingrained in my history as an alpha woman. But also I think about that every time I walk into our house for a chapter, that that was something that happened here on our campus and something that I knew I could never um, stand for.
2: A rumor went around during the campaign that Scales received an offer of support from the machine. She dodged the question in an interview, but said she never could have
3: accepted it even if it had been offered. I would say the machine, or Theta Nu Epsilon, is the organization that thinks they control our campus. Um, The statistics would prove otherwise, that if women in the Greek houses rose up, if independents rose up, if minorities rose up, at any point the systems could be toppled, but they survive off of apathy. I would also say that their past more closely reflects their present than we would like to think. Just because we aren't burning crosses doesn't mean we're not oppressing people.
2: Independent candidates Amber Scales and Marissa Navarro entered Election Day battling two foes, the machine and apathy among independents. Machine support can swing at least 8,000 votes to its chosen candidate. Price McGifford, the favorite, did not explicitly deny support from the group, according to the Crimson White. But it isn't the first time Marissa has faced long odds. When she arrived on campus from Grand Rapids, Michigan, she tried to fit in by joining a sorority. Three days in, a fellow student told her that Mexicans are poor, dirty, and ugly.
1: And so just going through that, I remember going home and like crying and calling my family and just telling them like, hey, I think I made a mistake. Like, I don't know. I don't think that Alabama is going to be the best fit for me only because I I was very naive and I thought that I can make Alabama my home and that racism was something that Just the media portrayed, but it wasn't really that bad until I had to come face to face with it.
2: Instead of leaving Alabama, Marissa decided to create her own space. She started a Latino interest organization, the first on campus. Only her advisor and co-founder attended the first meeting, but Marissa persisted and decided to schedule a second one.
1: We had our meeting down the hall in a room for 15 and we ended up having 70 people there and I remember just like crying and like seeing that what I did on campus didn't matter.
2: Marissa ran for Senate and won. Her platform for president included increased access to the campus food pantry and outreach to working students. Throughout the campaign, she said she met students who talked with her about their own struggles with multiple jobs and housing costs. As for Price, his campaign promises included efforts to increase lighting off-campus to improve safety. And he also threw out some collegiate red meat, pledging to push for improvements to the vending at Bryant-Denny Stadium. The University of Alabama has always been the biggest university in the state. It contains multitudes, from first-generation students working their way through school to wealthy undergrads living in relative luxury. Membership in sororities and fraternities is pretty expensive and can separate the wealthier students from their working-class counterparts. But sometimes relationships form across the divide. This is one of those stories, where the machine plays a starring role. If you've listened to this podcast, then you know John Archibald. Now you're going to meet his wife, Alicia. John and Alicia have been married for decades. They met as students at the University of Alabama.
1: I'm Alicia Archibald. I am an editor of a magazine, it's a niche publication, a trade magazine, and I'm also the wife of John Archibald and the mom of three kids who are the best.
2: Alicia grew up in Montgomery and went straight to Alabama from high school. John, however, took a more indirect path to Tuscaloosa.
0: I started out in college at UAB and uh, was a terrible student there. and not a great person and ended up tearing up my leg and getting into some trouble and having to start over at the University of Alabama. So I went down to Alabama really after my second year and became active as a GDI, as they call it, a goddamn independent.
2: John quickly found his way to the newspaper, The Crimson White. The CW is a longtime foe of the machine, a perpetual antagonist that regularly unearths juicy scoops from inside the Greek-led secret society. Alicia took a different path.
1: When I went to Alabama, I went through Rush, and I pledged by Mu, and it was very exciting, and it was instant friends. And it was so much fun the first year and I felt like I was doing such a great, exciting thing going to so many parties, but also studying with people and I did make good grades while I was there and I attributed that some to the study hours and it was a good experience. The
2: Fine House is one of the most striking on campus. In 2016, it underwent a $13 million renovation that boosted its size and grandeur. Even before construction, the house stood out.
1: The FAMU house has always been the only white sorority house on campus, and I mean painted white (laughs) in the the colors. And it remains so, even though it is about four times larger than it was when I was a student.
2: Alicia moved into the sorority house her sophomore year. She was comfortable there, even though she had already run into some trouble with the machine.
1: The first time I heard about the machine was at the FAMU house. Elections were coming up, and my roommate, who did not go through rush my first year, was running for something, and I brought her to the house to meet everybody like for dinner, which I was allowed to do, and so we would ding our iced tea glasses to get everybody's attention and I did that and introduced her and you should vote for her she's so great and left and I didn't realize I think I had I had an idea about the machine before that but that was my first time I really got in trouble there because they're like you don't that's not who we're voting for we will tell you we have the candidates that are for us and the way that it was sold was that Everybody hates us. The independents do not like us. There's a lot more of them than there are of us. If we do not go vote in our interest, they could take away our houses. They could take away our right to do the things that we do. So we're, you're protecting our interests, your own interests, if you vote for these machine candidates.
2: Despite that early hiccup, things were going well in the House. Alicia attended parties, dated frat boys, and enjoyed an active social life. But she needed another extracurricular to prepare her for life after college
1: i met john at the crimson white office i had decided to major in journalism and i knew that i needed to get some clips so i went there a friend who was editor of the crimson white also if i'm you invited me to come and start writing and so the first time i went in there I saw him. He was already an editor at that time, a copy editor. And I believed that he was the cutest person that I had ever seen. And I threw myself at him in a shameless way and he wouldn't ask me out. And so eventually I had to ask him out, but I won him over.
0: Largely by taking down the machine.
1: I wouldn't say taking down, taking on. It took a while for them to click.
0: Yeah, I mean, she was not my type. I mean, honestly, she was not my type. She had pink ribbons all over her hair and Greek letters all over her clothes. And But she was cute, don't get me wrong. But uh, I didn't know if that was going to work out.
2: Alicia began covering Student Government Association and started producing articles about the machine. In the spring, the election started, and John Merrill ran as an independent. He said supporters of the machine also started a whisper campaign.
4: We had friends that had a a small child that was about two and a half years old that we would take care of. And sometimes she would come sit with us at the basketball games at the university. And there were rumors going around that Cindy and I already had a child and that we just kept it hid and so nobody knew it. But it's, you know, people will just tell whatever they can tell to try to enhance their position as opposed to just allowing people to evaluate the candidacies of folks and then make good choices and decisions based on what the issues
2: are. Then the campaign got even dirtier. On a trip to his office late at night, John Merrill found two students rooting around in his papers. Both belonged to machine-affiliated fraternities. Alicia was the first reporter on the scene.
1: The most exciting thing that happened when I was covering that race for SGA president was the night that I was working late in the Ferg, which is where the Crimson White office was at that time, and the SGA offices were up, also up there down the hall. And um, there was someone else in the CW office with me, and we heard commotion. We went down the hall, and John Merrill is holding these two guys he's called the police the security's coming up because these two guys had broken into his office and it gave me the best headline i've ever had in my whole life which was he scared the duty out of me it was pretty good
2: at that moment her sorority life collided with her news reporting she followed the perpetrators to the police station for comment
1: when we went to the police station to try to question those you know talk to the guys and talk to the people who were there one of the guys was dating one of my sorority sisters and she was there to bail him out and that was the most awkward situation that I think I had
2: Alicia and John got a tip that the members of the machine were meeting in the basement of the Sigma new house they had been trying to put together a list of representatives the reps weren't eager to be identified
1: So when the first people came out, it's like they're on the list. Yes, we're right and we go and we try to talk to them and they run back in the Sigma Nu house. Nobody else came out the front and then we drove around to the back and they were shuttling them out of the house with like coats over their heads and the fraternity guys were driving them off in cars and it was super crazy.
0: Yeah, we went back to put the stories together and at that time they began to like drive around the
1: yeah the, the office third.
0: in a threatening manner and then ended up stealing a lot of newspapers to try to cover all that up. So it was a lot of cloak and dagger stuff but it was good stories.
2: Her relationship with John flourished as did her budding journalism career but things started going sour at the Phi Mu House.
1: You know what happened to the last girl that covered the machine that was in a sorority? Her headlights were bashed in. I mean, I got calls that were weird and the thing that hurt my feelings, such a silly thing that hurt my feelings so bad. There were photos from parties and events at different parts of the house. And one day I was going down one of the back stairs and there was a picture, a zap up of me and a couple of other girls and someone had taken a pen and scratch my face off, like, pretty violently off the picture, and I was still living in the house at that time, and I was like, this isn't going well. I mean, it's sad and that hurts my feelings, but golly, they're mad. They're madder than i realized.
2: Alicia had no intention of leaving the sorority, but eventually an advisor made it clear she had to choose.
1: It is still very painful to talk about how things ended up with FIMU. The end of my junior year, so that year I had covered the machine throughout and I had dated John all year. The alumni advisor who was a realtor in Tuscaloosa asked me to come to her office and meet with her and her daughter was my little sister, and I thought, something must be wrong with her. You know, this is weird. And when I went in there, she said, you know, you've been up to a lot this year, and we have not been happy with it. And if you want to stay in find our Advice or what we're telling you is that you'll need to quit working at the Crimson White and you'll need to break up with that boy. Now, probably he's been a terrible influence, and we see that this could have been him pulling you into this. And if that's the case, that's okay. You know, you can you can quit him in the CW, and and everything will be great next year. And. I was like, pretty sure I'm going to marry him and I'm pretty sure I want to be a journalist, so that doesn't sound like a good idea to me. (laughs) And we did get in an argument and she asked for, she said she was going to ask for my pen and I told her I was going to fight her on getting kicked out because I knew that those were not grounds to get kicked out. And she said that the grounds were that I was hurting the sorority, that she could go to National and make a claim.
2: In the end, she didn't get kicked out of FIMU. John had proposed and they became engaged. Back then, the chapter allowed engaged seniors to move to alumni status, and so she did. Alicia moved out of the FIMU house for her final year of school.
1: My last year on campus was not the best year of my life. John and I were engaged, and John was working for the Birmingham News at that time in Jasper, covering Walker and Coleman Counties, and so we weren't in the same town, so that was hard. And then I was out of the sorority, lost a lot of friends, and I wasn't really writing for the Crimson White either. I was stringing for the Huntsville Times, so I would go to events and write about that. It was a lonely, it was my most lonely year for sure. I was glad to be done.
2: It was very traumatic at the time, but the experience helped strengthen their marriage.
0: All of your emotions are so heightened when you're in college. You don't it really are your first experiences and all of a sudden you're dumped into the situation where people are, where you think people are going to hurt you, where people are systematically hurting other people. And it is a hugely frightening experience for a lot of people. and. Uh, which is why, you know, it's probably why we got married, because she said to hell with them, you know, and she fought him, and, uh, and it wasn't easy.
2: For John, the experience shaped his career as a journalist. The same corruption he found as a student emerged in the professional politics he covered for the Birmingham News and AL.com. Illinois and Louisiana may grab the headlines, but Alabama has been a poster child for corruption in recent decades. Three of the last six governors, two with UA connections, including SGA President Don Siegelman, were convicted of crimes while in office. Five commissioners in Alabama's largest county went to prison in a financial scheme that led Jefferson County to what was then the largest municipal bankruptcy in the history of the world. Students who learned the craft of politics at UA go on to work for political operatives who engineer scandals, Who hire protesters and run some of the dirtiest campaigns in the state. Machine-backed candidates and the independents who oppose them have risen the highest and fallen the farthest.
0: I do think it's become really clear to me after looking at that Constitution that the the machine grew up in this attitude the exact same environment that the Alabama Constitution was written in this post-Civil War idea that this group of elites by birthright felt that they knew best for what was for Alabama and that they felt it was their duty to assume roles of leadership in order to guide the less capable people of Alabama through it. And they grew up then uh, in this secret society and throughout the course of the last century tried to hold on to that power in order to, to wield the uh, what they thought was, was, you know you know, they were sort of the... The benevolent dictators of the University of Alabama, just like they were in the just state a of Alabama,
1: plantation mentality. It's a real
0: plantation mentality, and it, it and it has worked. You know, eventually, uh, you know, I think that if they're about to come to the point where they're just going to have. And I've heard several people, in with Machine Ties, say it. They're going to have to write, come to the light of day and stop being a secret organization and just start being a political organization that wields the same cloud. But uh, I think that what happens at the machine mirrors what has happened in Alabama, and that's why I find it so interesting.
2: That's John's story. It's why he's so interested in the machine. Interest has waned in recent years, but in 2017 and 2018, a series of stumbles by presidential candidate and eventual winner, Jared Hunter, put the spotlight back on the secret society. My name is Keeley
4: Mallory. Uh, I am the chair of the elections board. Um, this is, or I just resigned, so past tense but I was chair of the board for two years, 2015 to 16, and 2016 to 17.
2: Keeley and the rest of the elections board resigned right at the beginning of the fall semester. It all went back to some things that happened months earlier, right at the beginning of the 2017 campaign, on the first day, really. Jared Hunter's
4: campaign had thrown a campaign kickoff party, which is fine. That is very perfectly legal. It was within the time limits. But at that came, campaign kickoff period, it was found that there was some sort of bar tab going on at the restaurant. It was brought to our attention by multiple sources through our violation reporting system, which is how we figured that out. And it amounted to at least $500 that we found. There were a lot of issues with that. The main thing being alcohol being involved, um, that kind of like took it up a level. Also, like I mentioned, one of the most important rules is not bribing anybody to vote a certain
2: way. The biggest violation had nothing to do with liquor. It happened when Jared did something almost unheard of on campus. He acknowledged the machine's support for his campaign. That caused a quandary for the elections board. The machine isn't a registered student organization, and the rules are clear that candidates can't accept support from outside groups. So, the Elections Board voted unanimously to disqualify Hunter and referred the matter to the Office of Student Conduct. Those proceedings are confidential, but the Office of Student Conduct did not suspend Jared, and the members of the Elections Board had to decide how to respond.
4: What it came down to is that they completed their investigation and handed out sanctions and the Elections Board disagreed with the sanctions handed out. And we had, in our, our, our initial violation report, said we still kind of, like, hold the power to do something after OSE's investigation comes out, like reserve that right, basically. And we decided, honestly, the best course of action we felt was to resign as a board unanimously, which is really unfortunate because we were just trying
2: to enforce the rules, which seems very black and white in my opinion. Keely and I spoke not long after her resignation. She graduated back in May 2017 and had a lot to say about what she learned in four years at Alabama. I think
4: that there have been a lot of times that I have felt hopeless when it comes to student elections on campus. But I do feel like there is a platform for change and that gives me hope since my freshman year i've seen a lot i have come from the out-of-state aspect having no idea what alabama student government is and what it entails and thinking that anyone can run and anyone can be what they want to be on this campus and to see in both my life and other people's lives see that that light be taken from our eyes and the truth be shown, it puts this darkness, this cloud over our student elections on campus and it, it shows that incoming freshmen, that they, they can't be anything they want to be. And I think that's ultimately sad. So the opinion I see there is, is hopelessness but that's why I worked so hard and I've empowered so many people to stand up to make those changes even when we try and get phased out to someday our incoming freshmen will no longer be told who to vote for or what to do or which positions they can run for and instead can say, I can, I can do anything. I can, I can be the first to this, I can be the last to this. Like whatever they want to do, they can, they can go for it in a free and fair election.
2: And what do you think uh, students learn um, you know, from the existence of the machine?
4: I think it teaches them a, a backwards mindset. I think it tells them that they can be controlled by a secret group who is not even brave enough to show their face. And to me that that leads into a history of darker times when when people didn't feel like they could stand up with their own opinions. And I just, I want to go forward as an entity. If we ever, as a public university, want to be taken seriously, we can't keep letting, like, all of this happen. And I think that it just shows them that hopelessness that I talked about. There's There's no... There's no going forward when you're still being controlled by people in a basement.
2: Just weeks before the 2018 election, things got worse for Jared Hunter. He was arrested for drunk driving and resigned his post as SGA president. All the upheaval rocked political circles on campus. But were regular students paying attention? Did anyone care? Voter turnout had been lagging for years, and candidates worried about engagement. This system
4: has created an environment where the independent side of things who are the majority feel like their vote doesn't count. And you kind of see that in real life all the time with the low voter turnouts and stuff. I think if I've learned anything on this campus is that the independent is the majority. And if they come together and they believe that their vote matters, it can make a change. And I've seen
2: it in the last four years. Election day opened with a thunderstorm, just the kind of weather Presidential candidate Amber Scales feared could derail her chances. The rain subsided by
3: mid-morning, but turnout was sluggish. So it was a Tuesday. It was, Tuesdays are usually my long days for classes, but I told all my professors that I was just gonna use one of my absences. But me and the team, we were out with a lot of our, I guess like voting volunteers, passing out flyers and reminding people that there was an election happening and that today was the day you could vote. and. Just trying to make sure as many people as possible were aware, knew that we were running, had a little bit of information about the platform, Um, and then when they go on, there's like our bios and everything for the candidates who they can read, which I felt like really represented what I was running for. So it was just a lot of encouraging folks to vote, shaking hands, kissing babies. On Election Day, Amber and her team tried to motivate students to cast online ballots. We were having really good momentum, kind of early morning, but it was one of those weird um, times before the time changed, so it got dark really early. So it was probably an hour, an hour and a half left in voting block. It was dark out, so no one else was really walking around outside, and they, uh, the machine had done a really good job blocking me from speaking in sorority houses, so I knew some of the votes I needed to get from there unless they were coming from internal things weren't going to be happening so um, when I was doing the numbers in my head I knew it wasn't probably going to be as close as we wanted it to but it was one of those things where I was very proud of the work we had done as a campaign team we got the Crimson White endorsement the debate went really well and I just wanted the team to power through and be proud of what we were doing and what we were standing for regardless of how close or not close the, the votes ended up being. But I knew we were going to get, you know, a couple thousand people to come out and vote for us. So it wasn't going to be anything that was like shameful in our voter turnout. So I, I really wasn't worried about how it looked from that standpoint.
2: The loss wasn't a surprise, but Amber held out hope until the very end.
3: Well, it was one of those things where I was sitting in Rowan Johnson, the theater building, because I had rehearsal either way right after the votes came in. Winning, I had rehearsal. Losing, I had rehearsal. So we were sitting in the theater building just kind of waiting. And then we just waited to hear percentages. So they, they went by least amount of votes to highest amount of votes. So it was the type of thing where you knew you didn't want to hear your name. So as soon as you did, you can either kind of tune out or try to like tune into the numbers. But it it was interesting because about the number of votes that were cast were about the number of votes that in the machine constitution they say they control, which my team all immediately, all of our ears perked up because we had just, those numbers were really fresh in our head. She came in
2: second, receiving 2,895 votes to Price McGifford's 8,508. Marissa Navarro received 932. Neither one came close to winning. It was disappointing.
3: More than anything, we we all just wanted to, you know, kind of hug each other and say congratulations for everyone working so hard, and I knew I wanted to thank everyone for the time they put in. Um, I went out in the hallway and called Price to congratulate him and just um, let him know that, you know, we'd we'd seen the results, and I just went out to say something to him and then came back in and told the team I knew it was going to be a rough night, but, you know, go get a drink, (laughs) go do whatever you you need to do, and that I was going to run downstairs to rehearsal, so I, I... you know, grabbed all my stuff and hugged everyone goodbye and went on down to the theater. Amber has political
2: and theatrical aspirations, and after the election, she took to the stage. She scored a prominent role in a campus production and a summer gig at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival. The summer job will provide a welcome break from campus. Spring semester was hard, not just because of the loss.
3: This year specifically, I, I've seen a decrease in, in just general civility on campus which is sad to say but not because there's necessarily more people that share you know uh, similar views as to some of our people in power but because those people are so bold that they would do something like invite Jared Taylor something that from so few of them affects so many of us and to see those things happening when it's you know the 50th anniversary of the Black Student Union and we're supposed to be celebrating progress with Dr. Taylor's hire and you know, we have two women of color running for SGA president, things that are in, in their very essence progress. It's hard to balance those things against a full-on white supremacist going to be here. So maybe I'm wrong to say it's it's digressing, but it, it's, we're definitely, we teeter. We teeter every year and every semester, and this, this semester was definitely harder than last for me personally.
2: And so it goes, teetering back and forth. The university ultimately blocked that white supremacist from speaking on campus but Amber had to reapply for her cabinet post as Director of Multicultural Affairs. All of the members of the Executive Council ran unopposed with the alleged backing of the machine. A couple independents waged successful campaigns for Senate seats, but they would be far outnumbered by machine senators. The progress that had started in 2013 with desegregation of Alabama's historically white sororities seemed to stall. But even if things don't change on campus, maybe they can in the real world. The student body turns over every four years, wiping the slate clean. There's evidence that the machine's pipeline from campus to statehouse is weakened. Yes, students do learn lessons about politics from the machine, but they're not all bad. I mean, John Archibald just won a Pulitzer Prize for commentary, and he learned the ropes of journalism going after Theta New. After John Archibald won the Pulitzer Prize, he received a letter of congratulations from the alumni advisor who tried to kick Alicia out of Fine U. She apologized for disappointing Alicia and said a lot of what happened transpired due to forces outside her control. The system produces Pulitzer Prize winners because it also produces corruption. It teeters, as Amber might say. Next year, a new crop of students could send it teetering another way as graduates set out to remake the state. And the machine continues to play a vital role in that, 103 years after it was founded. To understand Alabama, you have to understand its system. And this is a big one. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. The series was produced by Amy Yerkinen and co-hosted by John Archibald. Our theme song is Where the Cotton Mouse Hung by The Delicate Cutters. Our logo was designed by Robin Hammondry. You can find all four episodes and other material on iTunes, Google Play, and at al.com slash reckon. If you like this podcast, you can follow Reckon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and sign up for our weekly newsletter. If you like this series, please share with your friends and review us on iTunes.